Welcome to this month's Drink on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. Let's start off, as always, with beer news. This month's big news is that Naptown Brewing in Sterling has finally opened for business. The opening of this new brewery has been much anticipated, especially after it won the People's Choice Award at this year's Frozen River Fest. Naptown's grand opening took place on Friday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, from 4 to 8 p.m. The turnout was excellent, with patrons standing in a long line to order from a menu of eight different offerings. Currently, the brewery is open from 4 to 8 p.m. on Fridays and Saturdays, though owner Jake Walgenbach hopes to add Sunday hours before too long. The brewery is located on the Sterling Highway at the corner of Scout Lake Loop, across from the Sterling Community Center. Gold Hill Imported Beers and Fine Wines in Esther is now officially the newest Three Bears Alaska Shell Fuel Convenience and Liquor Store. Gold Hill has been well regarded by Alaskan beer lovers for many years due to its eclectic beer selection. No word yet if it will continue its past practice or just copy the other three bears around the state. This evening, March 25th, the Brewers Guild of Alaska will be hosting an evening of rare beer at the Hangar Ballroom in downtown Juneau from 6.30 to 10 p.m. This intimate and small tasting event features rare, unusual, and sometimes never before seen bottles and barrels from your favorite breweries across the state. In addition to the beer, the $75 ticket includes appetizers and a commemorative tasting glass. All proceeds go to benefit the Brewers Guild of Alaska. Today, March 25th, is also Orval Day. Orval is a Trappist monastery in Belgium famous for the unique beer it produces, also named Orval. To celebrate the glory that is Orval, one day a year, Merchant Duvin, its U.S. importer, contributes 50 cents for every bottle sold to charity. This year, all proceeds will be donated to the National Forest Foundation. If you would like to obtain some Orval locally, you can usually find it at Country Liquors in Kenai. That's it for this month's beer news. Up next, we'll have an interview with Paul Wheeler of Haynes Brewing. This is KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldata.
Tune in on Sundays from 7 to 9 where I, Josie Oliva, will be your host for Pickled Beats, a radio show that explores obscure subgenres and oddly specific themes right here on Pickle Hill Radio, KDLL. The Kenai Arts Center has a first Friday opening reception for Visual Feast. The 32nd annual Kenai Peninsula Borough School District juried student art show from 5 to 8 p.m. April 7th. Middle School Awards presented at 5.30, High School Awards at 6. The show is on display through April at the Art Center on Cook Avenue in Old Town Kenai. Open noon to 5 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays. More information at kenaiartcenter.org. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. Up next, we've got an interview with Paul Wheeler of Haynes Brewing Company. Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing real well, real well. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us. So how are things going in the lovely city of Haynes? Well, we're definitely moving into spring. It's uh, a lovely, misty, 40-degree temperature day, little light winds, but uh, people are starting to wake up from the winter and uh, getting ready for the summer. Sounds nice. It's snowing here in Kenai right now, so I I envy you the spring that we haven't gotten yet. So uh, how are things going at the brewery? I think I saw on Facebook a picture of you guys taking delivery of some... uh, barrels, right? Oh, yeah. Our local distillery, um, Portugal Coot Distillery, gave us a couple of their rye whiskey barrels. And so we put some of our black fang into it. We did this a few weeks ago, and, and we normally age them for about two months. About two months? Okay. So you'll be uh, ready to release it in another, what, month, six weeks? Yeah, yeah. It'll be exciting. I'll be ready for a beer festival. Excellent, excellent. So speaking of Beer Festival, why don't you tell everybody about it, any of our listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Haynes Fest? Yeah, well, uh, what is it, the Great Alaska Homebrew and Craft Beer Festival that's hosted here in Haynes is in oh, close to 30th year, I think. We had to take a couple of years off like everybody did. And uh, this will be the second year back uh, with the tasting on Saturday, and this year we get to have our banquet again. So we have a gourmet banquet that's on Friday night, and this is Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Yeah, so the gourmet banquet, there's a homebrew festival, so we have sanctioned judges to to judge your fine homebrews, and uh, and then the tasting on Saturday. So if you're gonna if you're gonna come down, you you got to think about it real quick, because. Uh, these tickets sell out, and already the connoisseurs session of the Saturday tasting has sold out. That sold out actually in three days, and uh, I'm pretty sure the gourmet banquet might be very close to selling out. But there's still plenty of tickets on the Saturday tasting. But don't wait. And uh, a little a little warning: I had heard rumors that that there was somebody selling tickets that wasn't legitimate. So if you are going to buy tickets for this festival, go to the Southeast Alaska State Fair's website. So go through them and then click on down until you find the tickets. Well, that's that's important if there's somebody out there that's uh, selling uh, 
fake tickets, that would be really yeah. bad. It actually kind of makes us feel big town, you know, when somebody like that is trying to sell tickets to our festival here in Little Haines. Yeah, that's pretty good. If you, you know you've made it when they start trying to rip you off. Uh, I'm, I'm especially happy to hear that the uh, the banquet is back. That, uh, to me, was really always the highlight of the, the whole the whole weekend was uh, that uh, that Friday night banquet. So I'm glad to hear that's back. Yeah, yeah, that's always been my favorite part, too. And and we got uh, returning chef uh, Travis, who has got, I've seen the menu, uh, but I don't have it in front of me. But it, I, as I remember, it's just outstanding. So it's, it, that is definitely something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it should be a great time. I don't think I'm going to make it this year. I have to have to be outside until like the 24th of May. So, uh, well, perfect. Just swing on through Haynes. Yeah, I wish I wish I could. It's not too far out of the way. <laughs> so, what else? Uh, what else have you got going on with uh, at the brewery there? Any new uh, releases coming up in the near future? Um, we don't have anything new other than our our rye whiskey. We're burning through our the Gruet ale that we had uh, through the winter. That's been a fun, fun pour. I doubt uh, some of our listeners probably don't know what a Gruet is, so maybe you should explain that to them. Okay, a Gruet-style ale was uh, brewed for about seven or 800 years, right up until um, the Rheinhausdebut, that German purity law that was enacted in 1516. And up until then, hops was not very popular and it, it started to get its popularity right around that 15, 16 time period. And so maybe for a couple of decades, hops was coming up on the horizon. And what is it? The famous German monk, uh, Martin Luther, he was a big fan of hops. And he decided that he could push his weight around and have um, that German kingdom turn in this law called Reinhausdebut. And so... The recipe for a Gruet is uh, Labrador tea, uh, bog rosemary, um, a bog myrtle or sweet gale, and yarrow. And there might be a few other herbs that were added, but it's basically taking um, those main ingredients and making a tea out of them. And, and people of that region would then sell a tea-like substance to whoever was brewing and and I guess it was popular enough and valuable enough that a lot of uh, people could pay their rent if they had it growing, those ingredients growing on their property. Um, so it's something that's been around for a long time, and it's a real interesting beer because of the lack of hops. And it's just a very surprising, earthy, tea-like uh, ale. It's definitely a beer. It's full of, full of malt. Yeah, that one's been fun to have. It's uh, people are generally surprised by it when they try it. I assume they would be, as uh, used to people are of having hops in their beer. To have a, a malt alcoholic beverage made without hops would definitely take them by surprise. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of folks that say they don't like beer if they're they, if they've come in with a friend or something, they say, "Oh, I don't want anything. I don't don't like beer." And it's like, "Well, is it because of the hops?" Because we have a beer with no hops, and and it's been fun to watch the reactions from from folks like that. Well, hey, speaking of that, the other thing that I always think about when I think about you, Paul, is your kind of unique policy on tasting and flights and growlers and such. So, uh, why don't you expound on that a little bit? Because I think you're pretty you're pretty unique in the state on your feelings about that. 
probably in a lot of places, but uh, the tastings are the flights. I just um, I just think those are ridiculous. They're they're time consuming. They they waste a lot of beer. Oh, we'd make money on them because it's you know five ounces for three bucks. That's a pretty good return on on the product. So it's it's not you know something like that, but um, it's just. I don't know. I've told people that, you know, if you're going to judge my beer, I want you to act like a judge. So you got to be able to have a beer to actually do that. And I do pour the five ounce glasses, but we'll do them one at a time. So we kind of joke about that. It's like when they ask for a flight and I go, oh, our last one left at six this morning. You're out of luck today. You know, so I try to keep some humor in with it because people, you know, that aren't used to or are used to uh, walking into a brewery and ask for a flight. You got to try to keep it humorous, and and most people, if they're willing to listen to our explanation why we're doing it our way, um, they accept it, and they actually some of them thank us for, you know, teaching them another way of drinking beer, or you know, the way we are supposed to be drinking a beer. And so that's primary it about the tastings. You know, we don't we don't hand out a sip. You know, it's like you got it's it's a beer. It's a very small commitment. You know, so if you don't like it, then I'm sorry. Give it to your friend or leave it on the counter. It's not that much. But our growlers, yeah, that's once again, um, we want our product to go out of our our brewery um, at its finest condition. And if we use somebody else's growlers that come in and they're not clean properly, then they might experience a bad beer coming from our brewery because of the condition of their growler. And so we're pretty careful on, on cleaning ours and sanitizing them and, and bringing them back to a brand new condition every time. And so that way we can guarantee that they're going to experience our beer the way we want them to. So uh, talking about experiencing your beer, I know you're on a few places around Haines and I think you're on tap a couple of places in Juneau. Are you on anywhere else? That's it for now. We did have a, a short run up there in Anchorage. It was fun to send our beer there. The owner of the establishment was uh, happy to try it, and but it's just because we're self-distributing, uh, it's just so so incredibly expensive to ship small quantities of our product around the state. You know, Haines is in a pretty unique area where you can't just drive somewhere and. Uh, you're guaranteed to have to cross the border. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that part of it, you know. And uh, otherwise, you know, it has to go down to Juno or an, another way. But so it's just very cost prohibitive to be shipping our product out of Haines. Mm -hmm. So uh, have you got any new equipment or any plans for any new equipment, upgrades or anything like that? Um, not at the moment. We've been dabbling a little bit or thinking about doing some canning. We have the big can, the 32-ounce can that is our to-go product, um, but we haven't been wholesaling add-out anywhere. But we have been looking. We've had a little bit of time over the last couple of years to think about it and how can we make more money on our product. Or, you know, we've got equipment that uh, isn't being utilized part of the year, and so, you know, we don't need more equipment that way. Mm -hmm. You but, just need to be able to package beer that you make during your downtime. Yeah, yeah. And then, I, I don't know, 
how we would, once again, trying to ship even a, a, a pallet of canned beer out of Haines is, is very costly. And, and uh, so to try to keep our prices at a competitive rate, it's, it's, you know, it's just hard. And, you know, over the 23 years that we've been in business, we keep going around and around and around with this, uh, this dilemma, trying to, you know, increase our capacity and, and make a little bit more money. But, and then we just go back to, well, we're feeling pretty good. Everything's paid for. You know, why make life harder? Yeah, there you go. You're Haynes Brewing Company and Brewing Company for Haynes. Yeah, that's right. Pretty much it. Well, hey, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, I won't make it, like I said, I don't think I'm going to make it this year, but maybe next year I'll be, finally be able to get back down to uh, one of the festivals on Memorial Day weekend because it's an outstanding festival. I always enjoy it every time I go down there. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to look forward to seeing you the following year. All right. Well, take care and thank you very much. Oh, you bet, Bill. It's been a pleasure. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment. Calling all KDLL listeners. Would you like to have a direct voice into what you hear on the air? KDLL is seeking members for its Community Advisory Board. The CAB meets quarterly to gather public input and evaluate how well KDLL programming meets the needs of the community. If this gets your ring of approval, contact Jenny at KDLL at info at KDLL.org or 283-8433. It's double your donation time to the Kenai Peninsula Food Bank. Donations to the food bank will be matched through March with a challenge grant from the Kenai Peninsula Community Care Center. And there's a Walmart Spark Good March Roundup offering matching donations when you round up the cost of purchases. More information at the food bank at Community College Drive and K Beach Road in Soldatna on Facebook and online at kpfoodbank.org. Welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host here, Bill Howell, on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. On this month's feature topic, we're going to talk about cellaring beer. This is the time of year when many breweries, especially here in Alaska, release some of their darkest and strongest brews. Barley wines, Russian Imperial Stouts, Winter Warmers, this is the season for them. Indeed, for the last quarter century, we've even had a festival in January dedicated to such beers. While there won't be a great Alaska Beer and Barley Wine Festival in 2020, there will be an Alaska Craft Beer and Barley Wine Festival, including a contest for the best barley wine. Given the abundance of strong brews released this time of year, it's not surprising if you might consider saving some of them for the future. Who knows, maybe they might even improve a bit with age? This brings us to this month's topic, cellaring beer. First up, we need to define our terms. Cellaring beer is different than storing beer. The goal of storing beer is to keep it as fresh as possible until you can drink it. In storing beer, you do your best to retard any and all processes that cause beer to change. Cellaring means trying to control those processes so as to produce a desirable change in a beer. The two main enemies of beer freshness are light and heat. So when you store beer, your goal should be to keep it as dark and as cold as possible. Let's start with light and why it's important to protect beer from it. 
Beer contains hops and it also contains sulfur. Hops contain alpha acids. When hops are boiled, the alpha acids get isomerized and become chemical compounds known as isohumulones. When light hits the isohumulone compounds, it breaks them down and causes a reaction with the sulfur in the beer that produces some of the same stinky chemicals that skunks spray. Hence the term skunked beer used to refer to beer that has been damaged by exposure to light. Protection from light is why most beer is sold in amber bottles, even though amber glass will allow some beer-harming rays through. Cans provide complete protection from light. So whether you are storing or selling beer, protecting it from exposure to light is very important, as nothing good can come from it. Moving on to temperature, things get a bit more complex. The main concern about a beer's temperature is its impact on the process of oxidation. Most chemical reactions happen faster at higher temperatures, and oxidation in beer is no exception. What happens in that process is quite simple. Oxidation is just the loss of an electron from an oxygen-based molecule to another molecule. The molecule which loses an electron is said to be oxidized. It's when the lost electron transfers to another molecule that things get a little complicated and a whole host of varying flavors and aromas are affected. If we are talking about storing beer, then any and all oxidation is bad. Remember, our goal with storage is to preserve the beer fresh and unchanged as much as possible for as long as possible. That means slowing down the process of oxidation to the maximum extent possible. Therefore, we should try to keep the beer close to the freezing point without actually freezing it. Freezing beer has many other undesirable effects, mainly due to ice crystal formation destroying the beer's proteins. It's for this reason that you'll see most beer coolers set to about 35 degrees Fahrenheit. At that temperature, the beer will keep well without freezing. However, when we are cellaring beer, we are attempting to harness the process of oxidation to promote desired changes in a beer. In this case, we don't want to prevent all oxidation. Instead, we want it to proceed at a slow, controlled rate. Therefore, the ideal temperature to cellar a beer is not as cold as possible, but rather at a temperature below the beer's fermentation temperature. Beers which are cellared are usually ales with a fermentation temperature between 65 degrees Fahrenheit and 70 degrees Fahrenheit, meaning they should be cellared below 65 degrees. If possible, a cellar with a steady temperature of 55 degrees Fahrenheit will produce the best results. Also, it's important that the temperature be kept steady. Large temperature swings are not good for keeping oxidation at the desired rate. Assuming you've located a decent spot to cellar beer, one that you can keep dark and fairly temperature controlled, the next question is what sort of beers should you cellar? Not all beers are suitable for cellaring. Many styles will not improve but only deteriorate with the passing of time. So what criteria should you use for choosing a beer to cellar? Well, first, it should have sufficient alcohol by volume. Alcohol acts as a preservative, slowing the unwanted effects of aging and buying time for pleasant, mature flavors to surface. Unless a beer is smoked or sour, its alcohol content should be at least 8% alcohol by volume. Sour and smoked beers are an exception because they have other preservatives, lactic acid and smoke phenols, to take the place of high alcohol content. Beers which are highly hopped make poor candidates for cellaring. 
Hop flavors and aromas are quite volatile and are typically the first things to be lost as a beer ages, sometimes leaving undesirable flavors behind. For this reason, IPAs and other highly hopped styles make poor candidates for cellaring. Beers which are unpasteurized or bottle conditioned are preferred because the live yeast in the bottle helps them develop and integrate better over time. Bottled beers with their own unfiltered, unpasteurized yeast are a dynamic living thing, able initially to consume residual oxygen and then continue to slowly condition. Almost all the beers famous for their cellaring potential are bottle conditioned. A bottle size and closure type will also impact how quickly it will age. The larger the bottle, the slower it will cellar. Crown caps provide the best seal against external oxygen introduction, especially if they have been dipped in wax, with corks a close second. Also, unlike wines, cork beers should always be stored vertically in the cellar. Once you take all of these factors into consideration, you can see why the style of beers commonly released at this time of year seem optimum for cellaring. Barley wines and Russian Imperial Stouts certainly have enough alcohol by volume to be cellared, and they are typically bottle-conditioned. They are malt-forward styles without much hop flavor or aroma to be lost. Some of them are even smoked, which adds an additional layer of preservation. A final word on cellaring. It's important to keep records. Regardless of how big or small a beer cellar you have, you should have a cellar book in which you can record beers as they go into and are pulled out of your cellar. I personally use a computer spreadsheet, but a simple paper notebook works as well. Since cellaring is an imperfect science, ideally you would purchase multiple bottles of the beer you are aging so that you can sample and evaluate its progress on a regular basis, say every year or six months. There's nothing more disheartening than to pay good money for a beer, cellar it for years, and then open it, only to find that it's long past its prime. A cellar book can help you keep track of what you have and when it should be drunk. The internet is also a useful tool in this regard. There are numerous forums where beer aficionados discuss and debate the optimum cellar times for various beers. This can give the novice a good starting point for when he or she should expect a given beer to be ready to drink. Finally, if you're listening to all this and thinking, beer cellaring sure sounds like way too much trouble and effort, I hear you. The good news is that most beer is brewed to be consumed as soon and as fresh as possible. Keep your beers you buy cold and dark, and you'll be in fine shape. But if you've got the interest in the space to establish a beer cellar, you might find it adds another dimension to your craft beer experience. There is nothing worse than driving Turnigan Pass with no cell service and nothing to listen to. But now you can download your favorite KTLL programs as podcasts to take with you wherever you go, whether you're hiking the Chugach, skiing in the Refuge, or just driving through a dead zone. Kenai Convo, The Evening News, Growing a Greener Kenai, and Drinking on the Last Frontier are all available on Apple Podcasts, or visit the podcast page on kdll.org. The Performing Arts Society presents a jazz concert by Aaron Lohmeyer and Friends at 7.30 p.m. March 25th at Soldatna Christ Lutheran Church. Tickets available at River City Books, North Country Fair, Curtain Call, Already Read, Country Liquor, and At the Door. More information at performingartssociety.org.
As I get older, I'm reminded more and more frequently that the frame of reference I grew up with is no longer relevant to the younger generations. Assumptions about shared experiences, things like the Cold War, pay phones, or cars with carburetors, are simply no longer valid when talking with someone who has lived their entire life in the 21st century. So it's occurred to me that many of my listeners may not have the foggiest idea who Fritz Maytag is and what he did to earn him the nickname the Godfather of American Craft Beer. Frederick Louis Fritz Maytag III was born on December 9, 1937 in Newton, Iowa. He is a scion of the Maytag Appliance Dynasty, the great-grandson of Maytag Corporation founder Frederick Louis Maytag I and the son of Maytag Dairy Farms founder Frederick Louis Maytag II. While studying in San Francisco in the early 1960s, Maytag spent considerable time at his favorite North Beach restaurant, the Old Spaghetti Factory, enjoying a locally brewed beer, Anchor Steam. This beer was in a uniquely American beer style, known as Steam Beer or California Common. Steam Beer was first brewed in about 1851, a little after the California Gold Rush started. It is very close to being an ale, warm fermented but with bottom working lager yeast instead of the usual top working ale yeast normal for that beverage. Lager beer, a child of cooler climes, was necessarily fermented and aged at cold temperatures, often in caves and deep cellars, kept cool by ice blocks harvested in local lakes. Mid-19th century California, at gold rush times, with its influx of immigrants, mainly from Central Europe, was a budding market for the new mellow lager beer. Unfortunately, California simply didn't get cold enough for a lager fermentation. Warm fermentation was the only answer. The newly devised system called for an initial fermentation in large, shallow pans called clarifiers, somewhat similar to the cool ships still used today in Belgium. The beer was then transferred to closed casks where it was krausened in the style of German lagers rather than primed in the fashion of English ales. Priming is the addition of sugar syrup to the finished beer. This causes a new fermentation resulting in a small increase in alcohol content and the carbonation of the finished beer. German immigrant brewers felt obliged, even in this new country that had adopted them, to follow the ancient 1516 Bavarian Reinheitsgebot purity law. Sugar was verboten, so a small volume of Krausen, or newly fermenting beer, was added to the casks before sealing and delivery. This additional fermentation gave the product a rich, creamy head, especially so because the beer was served warmer and therefore under much heavier carbonation pressure. Actually, it was about the same pressure as is found in a good bottle of French champagne, some four times the pressure of beer served today. When the keg beer was tapped, it often had a loud hiss. Folks came to call this beer steam beer, perhaps for that very reason. The production of steam beer flourished, and by the end of the 19th century, there were over 100 steam beer breweries in California, with others in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and as far east as Wisconsin. It was popular in Alaska during the Klondike Gold Rush, with breweries in Skagway offering their versions. 
Some of these so-called steam brewers might have labeled themselves steam from the fact that they used pasteurization, called steaming, in those days. At one time, 27 steam beer breweries operated in San Francisco alone, but the number declined, as did the popularity of the product. By the time of Prohibition in 1920, only seven remained. When Prohibition finally ended in 1933, the lone survivor was the old Anchor Brewery of San Francisco. Thirteen years of Prohibition had taken its toll on steam beer aficionados. They were a small, enthusiastic, but aging group. Prohibition had also taken its toll on brewing equipment from the old 1896 Anchor Brewery, some of which had survived the 1906 earthquake, which the original brewery had not. When Prohibition was repealed, Joseph Krauss and Joe Allen reopened the old brewery and revived the beer as the only steam brewery to reopen after Prohibition. In 1934, they moved to 398 Kansas Street at the corner of 17th, where the brewery remained in production until 1959. At that time, a final move settled the old brewery in at 541 8th Street under a freeway. They reopened there in August of 1960. Joe Allen and Lawrence Steese were the major figures, and 27 years after appeal, their base had steadily diminished. By 1965, perhaps 10 outlets existed for the company's draft-only product. Production had been reduced to a single monthly brew. The steam beer aficionado pool was growing old and would soon be gone. Worse, the beer was regularly sour and contaminated. Clearly, the handwriting was on the wall. Bankruptcy seemed inevitable for the faltering brewery. Enter Fritz Maytag. Fred Kuh, the old spaghetti factory's owner, happened to mention to Maytag that Anchor Steam Brewing was getting ready to close and suggested that he might want to visit the brewery to see it before it was gone. Maytag paid a visit to the brewery the next day and ended up buying a majority interest in it. When he bought Anchor Brewery in 1965, it was one of dozens of similar regional breweries struggling to compete against the big national brands. Maytag spent the next several years learning everything he could about brewing. He visited breweries in England and studied old texts and investigated steam beer, one of America's few unique beer styles. Anchor began bottling its current version of steam beer in 1971, striving to emulate the pre-prohibition brew, the recipe and procedure for which had been lost by 1933. It marked the beginning of a prolific and innovative decade. Anchor then bottled its first porter in 1974, and even though porter is originally an English beer style, no brewers in England were making the style any longer. They then released the unprecedentedly hoppy Liberty Ale on April 18, 1975, to commemorate the 200th anniversary of Paul Revere's ride. It was one of the first beers to use Cascade hops, today the most popular hop variety used by craft brewers. The first Anchor Christmas Ale, a brown ale, came the same year. Shortly thereafter, they began creating a new recipe, often spiced, and a new hand-drawn label each year. Old Foghorn, the first barley wine-style ale to be brewed in America in modern times, debuted the following year. In 1979, having outgrown the brewery on 8th Street, 
The brewery was moved to its present location on Mariposa Street in an old coffee roastery that was built in 1937 on nearby Poritro Hill. In 1984, to celebrate their fifth anniversary in the new location, they brewed a wheat beer, which was possibly the first American wheat beer since Prohibition. They also embarked on a series of special projects, including the Sumerian Beer Project to make Ninkasi beer, based on a 4,000-year-old Sumerian recipe, and a spruce beer based on colonial recipes. In 1993, Anchor added an in-house distillery where they make rye whiskey and pot-distilled gin. Throughout all of this, Maytag was driven by a vision of purity and devotion to tradition. In contrast to the prevailing industry view, he believed that consumers would pay more for a premium product if they understood why it costs more. His thumbnail description of Anchor Steam was, quote, an old-fashioned beer, pure of heart. Maytag was fiercely protective of that vision. At one point in 1980, he sued an upstart rival, the California Steam Beer Brewing Company of San Rafael, which had started operations in 1979, because he thought they were brewing such bad beer that it would ruin the good name of steam beer. He was able to trademark steam beer to protect the company's good name. Our position, Maytag explained in 1983 to the San Francisco Chronicle, is that while steam beer once meant something to many breweries, for more than 80 years it has meant the product of this particular brewery and only this brewery. As much as beer lovers have benefited from the great beers produced by Anchor Brewing over the years, Fritz Maytag's greatest contribution to American craft brewing was likely his support and mentorship to other up-and-coming would-be brewers. In the late 1970s and early 80s, just about everyone thinking of possibly opening a craft brewery made the pilgrimage to San Francisco to meet Fritz Maytag and see how real craft brewing was done. Ken Grossman, the founder of Sierra Nevada Brewing, and Jeff Larson, the co-founder of Alaskan Brewing, were just two of the many craft brewers who would seek out the wisdom and advice of Fritz Maytag as they made plans for their own breweries. It's hard to see how the wonderful craft beer world we enjoy today would have come about without the example and the assistance of Fritz Maytag. He truly deserves to be called the godfather of American craft beer. Up next, we'll have an interview with Don Stead of Grace Ridge Brewing Company in Homer. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Howdy, folks. This is Murphy from the Veritas Variety Review. Check us out Saturdays, 7 to 9 p.m. every single week for good music, free high fives, and good vibes. Catch you then. In Alaska, it's not if a natural disaster will strike, but when. Planning ahead can save lives, time, and money. The Kenai Peninsula Economic Development District can help prepare for the unexpected. Visit kpedd.org slash disaster dash planning 
For links to resources and a brief survey to see where your business stands on emergency preparedness. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. Up next, an interview with Don Stead, the owner of Grace Ridge Brewing Company in Homer. Hi, Don. How are you doing today? We're doing great. Thank you. All right. Good to hear that. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. So, how's things going down in Homer? Are you guys getting uh, spooled up for uh, summer yet? We are. We're definitely back to brewing on a more regular basis so you know i just did our our first triple batch getting ready for summer um we'll be doing a couple more of those <laughs> as we progress it always makes for a couple of long days oh, i'm bad i bet and uh you said that one of your major accounts just reopened right yes indeed yeah captain patty's is reopened so they're doing great you know, and it's amazing how much beer those guys use, which is really, really great for us. Must be all that beer battered, beer battered fish they're frying. Yeah, <laughs> could be, could be. So I'm trying to remember since the last time we talked. I think you guys have uh, made a uh, a fairly big move into canning, right? Last time I was in there, you guys had quite a few of your beers on offer in 16 ounce cans. Yeah, we've moved beyond the 16-ounce cans. Now we're in 19 twos. Okay. But still, that is that is what we're doing. And you can find those cans up in Country Liquor there in Kenai, you know, and down here, obviously, at the brewery and, and at a couple of other stores in town. So, you know, that's been very successful for us. What kind of canner are you using? I'm, honestly, I don't remember. That's okay. You know, we are we're using a gosling from Wild Goose. Does one can at a time, but we're able to squeeze about eight cans a minute out of it. But it it sure is nice to be able to do something that's more of a standard format rather than the 32 ounce cans, what we've been doing before off the draft system. Now we can right off the bright tank. That works really, really well for us. Good, good. Well, it's be be good to be able to see more of your stuff uh, available up here you know, and easier for you to can different things to, to get into the, in the market up here. So have you got any other new equipment or anything that you're bringing online any time in the near future? Uh, nothing in new equipment. No, we're just playing with beers. You know, today we're, we're actually brewing kind of, I don't know if you can hear that roar in the background, but that's the boil kettle. Coming up to boil um, are Brackish Brown, which is actually quite a popular beer. It's very tasty. It has Ketchumac Bay sea salt in it. It's really good. Good. People, I'm, I'll definitely have to keep an eye out for it. I mean, I know you guys were up here for the Frozen River Fest, which was great. But it's, it's summertime coming, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of folks heading down your way to Homer from around here. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were really hoping we'd get a big kick from the salmon derby. And obviously that got canceled. Hopefully maybe this weekend we'll see something from it. All righty. What, uh, any other new brews that you're going to be bringing online in the near future? We have a beer right now that we call Boatwork Lager. And it's a lower alcohol offering. We're trying to get down to three point. 
3.4 and 3.5 range alcohol. It, but it, the good thing about this beer, it's not like a 3.2 beer. It's, it's still very flavorful, has nice presentation. I'm really excited about it. And, and we've got it in a couple of, of our stores right now. And people love it. I think it's great. Sounds very interesting. I'll have to see if I can hunt it up and give it a try. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a really nice little beer. You know, it is a lager. It takes a little bit longer time, but I really, really enjoy it. So that's one that we're doing. Um, obviously, we'll be building some more. We're doing, you know, we're, we've got Hazy Number 9, and that beer we're, we're trying to move more frequently for brewing it because it, it is still a popular style in the U.S., you know, that East Coast hazy IPA style. So we're, we've got hazy number nine, and, and I think it's a good beer. We just did a grapefruit IPA, which is really nice. I don't want to call it a Sculpin's clone, but it's, it's really, really nice. Oh, sounds good. So what, uh, what, hour, what hours are you keeping these days in case people are heading down your way and they want to stop by? We're still at 3 to 7 um, weekdays and 2 to 7 on the weekends. Okay. So open seven days a week, though. Yes, sir. Cool. Cool. So are there any other special events coming up down your way that uh, people should? You guys will be brewing for the Shorebird Festival, I assume, again. We'll be brewing for the Shorebird Festival. So Oyster Catcher Scout will be coming out end of next month i believe so in the end of april shorebird starts pretty early in may so we've got that going on this saturday i think it's saturday we have 13 or 17 artists coming in and then we're doing an art auction off of those guys so they're going to actually be painting in the brewery and the tap room some of them are sculptors they'll be outside doing some sculpting it's going to be kind of a fun little event that we have but it is a fundraiser for our ptarmigan arts cool cool sounds like some great events well hey dodd thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us i know you're busy if you got the brew kettle going but uh i really appreciate it yeah no problem no problem thanks for the interview appreciate it very much you guys have a good week this is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment. Hello, this is John Jackson, host and producer of Deeper Cuts Radio. Deeper Cuts features an artist, band, or topic. We play great music not often heard, mixing and mingling genre and era, creating a unique playlist for your listening pleasure. Tune in Fridays at 9 p.m. on KDLL 91.9 FM in beautiful Kenai, Alaska. Enjoy. In this month's style section, we're going to talk about goose. Earlier this month, I was up in Anchorage. Whenever I'm in the big town, I try to stop at the La Bodega flagship store on Benson to see what new and available in the world of beer. On this visit, I noticed a bottle of Goose on sale that was by the Turnigan Brewing Company in Anchorage. As I placed it in my basket, it occurred to me that many folks would probably have no idea what sort of a beer it was trying to be. 
So to remedy that, in this month's beer style segment, we're going to talk about one of the most unique and amazing styles of beer out there, the barrel-aged and blended style of Belgian Lambique known as Goose. That's spelled G-U-E-U-Z-E and is the French name for the style. In Belgium, they speak French in the south and Dutch in the north. And its Dutch name for the beer style is something like Gerser. Growing up in New Orleans, my French is considerably better than my Dutch, so I think I'll stick to calling it Goose. But before we start talking about gooses in particular, let's talk about lambiques in general. A lambique is a sour wheat beer style brewed in and around Brussels. What makes lambique unique is the utilization of medieval or even more ancient fermentation techniques in its production rather than the modern microbiological practices developed by Louis Pasteur and Emile Christian Hansen in the late 19th century. Lambiques are produced using a complex fermentation based on locally and naturally occurring wild yeast and bacteria, making them the prototype of so-called wild ales now being created by craft brewers all over the world. Within the family of Lambiques, there are several beer styles, including fruit beers such as Creeks and Framboise, flavored by cherries and raspberries respectively, and Faro, a lambique that has been sweetened with sugar. But today we're interested in that most complex and highly respected of lambic beer styles, Goose. Goose is an unfruited, sparkling form of lambique that many regard as the epitome of sour beer production. Sometimes called the Champagne of Belgium, a goose is the blend of two or more lambiques of different ages, with the younger beer providing sugars needed for re-fermentation in the bottle. Gooses almost certainly predate champagne and was probably originally served directly from the cask, but today it's almost exclusively a bottled beer. Producing the component lambiques, which are blended to produce a goose, is a time-intensive process. The mash for the beer is produced using 30 to 40% unmalted wheat. Rather than fresh hops, three-year-old hops are used. These hops have lost all their flavor and aroma and are used purely for their antimicrobial properties. As I mentioned, rather than adding a particular yeast strain to the wort, Lambert brewers simply expose the cooling wort to the air and allow the wild yeast from the area to take hold and ferment the beer. Next, the beer is moved to wooden casks, each of which has its own complex culture of microbes residing within, and allowed to age for one, two, or even three years. Finally, lambiques of different ages are mixed, bottled, and then allowed to condition. The traditional goose flavor is a dry, sharp, earthy, close to that of unblended lambique, but bottle conditioning and the resulting carbonation give it an even greater complexity and finesse. Like blending wines or scotch whiskey, blending lambiques of various ages to make a goose is an art form. Since the base lambiques have been spontaneously fermented, each barrel will have a strong individual character. Upon tasting it, the blender will have to decide whether to use the barrel now or hold it further and whether to use it for some other lambic style, such as fruited beer, or to use it for the brewery's best traditional goose. 
highly aromatic, old, stinky goose is considered quite valuable and we used very carefully. These old lambiques have barnyard aromatics reminiscent of washed rind cheese, which is not surprising given that the same wild yeast and bacteria are at work in both the beer and the cheese. The goal of the blender is to produce a pleasing union of the individual lambiques. Young lambiques provide fermentable sugars and bright, vibrant flavors to the blend. Aged lambiques lend complexity of flavor, along with enzymes created by the dozens of microorganisms resident in the wood of the casks. These enzymes will break down complex sugars into simple sugars that yeast and bacteria can consume to produce carbonation. The goose blender must not only carefully manage the characteristics of taste and acidity of each different lambique, but also make sure that the beer will attain the proper high carbonation desired after bottle conditioning. The proportions of young and old lambique in a goose differ from year to year and from one brewer to another. Some brewers use approximately 50% one-year-old, 25% two-year-old, and 25% three-year-old lambique. Others prefer two-thirds one-year-old and one-third two- or three-year-old lambique. Special blends may include as little as 10% young beer. After blending, the beer is bottled and laid down in cellars for at least four to six months of re-fermentation. Some may not be released for many years. When they are eventually served, the bottles may come to the table in a special basket to maintain the bottle in a horizontal position. This allows the yeast deposits to remain in place while the beer is poured out sparkling and clear. So how does a fine traditional goose taste? Well, it's something close to a very dry white wine, but because of the excellent carbonation, it's effervescent and refreshing like the finest champagne. There will be some tartness, and the more traditional goose, the greater the degree of tartness. There will also be many interesting so-called barnyard elements, depending on the percentage of truly old lambique used. In short, gooses taste almost nothing like we would expect a beer to taste. There's no hop flavor or aroma. The beer is bone dry and tart rather than malty. Some people hate them when they first taste them, then grow to love them while others never do. But whether you love them or hate them, Gooses are a piece of living history and a strong reminder that beer is easily the most complex alcoholic beverage in the world today. If you'd like to taste a goose, you may occasionally be able to find them from the local breweries specializing in sour beers and barrel aging, like Turnagain Brewing in Anchorage. Bottled versions from Belgium are sometimes available at Country Liquors in Kenai or the Grog Shop in Homer. The better bottle shops in Anchorage, like La Bodega or Brown Jug Warehouse, usually have some choices on offer. Don't waste your time looking for these rare beer styles at Safeway or Fred Meyer. If you do manage to find a bottle to try, be sure to prepare yourself for a beer style that tastes like no other. Hello, this is Charlissa Megan, known as Truth Is... And I'm her trusty sidekick, Eva Knutson. And, and we, we are, are the, the Sound Hunters. Hunters. Join us on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. as we dig through our old mixtape collections and share our favorite eclectic musical finds. That's the Sound Hunters on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. Right here on KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. 
Well, that's it for this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. Our final thought this month is from the late, great Frank Zappa, who said, You can't be a real country unless you have a beer and an airline. It helps if you have some kind of a football team or some nuclear weapons, but at the very least, you need a beer. Until next month, cheers.